The Ian O'Connor Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Ian O'Connor Show on 98.7 ESPN. Good afternoon, everyone. Ian O'Connor, columnist with the New York Post, in for Bart and Han until 2 p.m. And it's DCR in for the Michael K. Show. Anthony Pusick on the other side for me did a great job yesterday shepherding me through those two hours. Hopefully we'll do the same again. And there's so much going on. Of course, tonight the NFL preseason starts for real Washington and New England. And of course, it's a huge year as we talked about yesterday for Bill Belichick in that program post Brady after the seven and nine last year. It's Cam Newton versus Mac Jones. It's the Washington defensive front against a very good Patriots offensive line. You also have Pittsburgh and Philly playing tonight. We'll see about Jalen Hurts against a good defense on the Steelers' side. It's Haskins versus Mason Rudolph for that backup job behind Big Ben. Busy day yesterday doing the show here, driving out to City Field for what I thought would be a doubleheader that I was covering for the post. And the first game is played, finished. The Mets with a lot of comebacks. And they needed that one in the worst way. And then, of course, game two is rained out. Now we have a doubleheader starting in a few minutes that the Mets, like I said yesterday, absolutely have to win this doubleheader. You usually don't ask a major league team to do that. It's very hard to do. But when you look at their schedule going forward and what they've gone through, 13 straight games against the Dodgers and Giants, and then there are games against the Yankees and Red Sox and Brewers. And so... This is a very, very difficult stretch they're about to approach. So they have to win these two games today. They're just a game back. The Phillies have helped them out in the last 48 hours, losing to the Dodgers. So the Mets now maybe can build a little momentum going into those 13 straight games against the Dodgers and Giants. One back in the division. You know what Zach Scott said yesterday. We'll get to that. I'm sorry, two days ago. And the Yankees playing that Field of Dreams game tonight in the Iowa cornfields against the White Sox. Tony La Russa, who was supposed to be a disaster by most accounts this year, given his age and being away from the game. And it's a new school approach. He's an old school guy. And yet the White Sox are what? They're 19 games over 500, playing really good baseball. He actually, I don't believe, will be there tonight because of a funeral. Uh, I believe a his brother-in-law passed away, so I don't think LaRusso will be there. But that will be sort of a fascinating visual anyway. And we'll talk about Field of Dreams as a movie. Is it a generational thing? People like me, I'm 56. I'm into it. I think most young people are not. Uh, they might want to watch the Yankees and White Sox play a good baseball game, but they don't need the whole feel the dreams thing to define it so we'll get into that and maybe your favorite sports movies of all time that's always a fun conversation and but so I'm driving back in the pouring rain last night and I get home and it's already been a long day and I turn on the tv and of course I'm a sucker for NBA summer league the NBA summer league will fool you like almost nothing else in sports because you'll watch guys who were second-round picks, undrafted, and and they're tearing it up. And you're thinking, wow, this guy could be a really good rotation piece for a contending team. And then reality sets in. So you see guys, and so I'm watching. It's the Knicks and the Lakers, and it's not exactly Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals. But 
I don't know. I'm a sucker for it. For the summer league and also for when the Knicks are playing the Lakers. When those two uniforms are on the same floor, it does something to me and I want to watch. And so I did. And it was, listen, McBride looks like a real player. Second round pick, long wingspan, can defend. Looked like last night he could score. And again, who's he playing against? But still... He looks good. Grimes has gotten off to a slow start in the summer league, and, and that's fine. Who cares? It's sort of like Zach Wilson with the Jets getting off to a slow start in camp and making mistakes, and he's owning them, which is a good sign. We'll talk about that later as well. But you can't really base anything on what happens in the summer league other than this. When you're watching the Knicks, you're watching the young players like Toppin, and quickly looked very good again last night, and he, in a lot of people's eyes, is still really a, a shooting guard in a point guard's body. But if he could really refine his skills at that playmaking position, I think he's a guy who's going to be more appealing to teams around the league. Toppin, he needs to develop. And so I, that, that's really what I'm looking at. I'm obviously looking at McBride and Grimes as well to see where these players can go. And it's just hard. And what, what's fascinating is you'll watch – Somebody like on the Lakers, Mac McClung, who is a high-level, high-flying, athletic, big-time college player. And at times, he's getting swallowed up on, on the floor by bigger NBA people. The difference between major college basketball and the NBA is gigantic. And sometimes you'll see that. I'm not saying he's not going to have an NBA career, but you could see the difference. And so I'm watching this and, and laughing to myself that I am, at the end of a long day, transfixed by the Knicks and the Lakers playing a completely meaningless game with a bunch of guys on the floor, most of whom are not going to play in the NBA, certainly for any significant period of time. But it is interesting to me because when I look at what the Nets are doing, and you know what Sean Marks, the the GM, said about obviously that they've already signed Kevin Durant long term, so he's going to be there another five years, and now they are very confident they will get those kind of deals with Kyrie Irving and James Harden before training camp starts. And boy, it's really nice to have an owner who's worth about $11 billion in Joe Sy. Here's a guy who's about to commit more than half a billion dollars in salary to these three players. And they were only healthy for a combined to play together for eight games during the regular season. And then they weren't healthy in the playoffs, two of them. And that's the reason that the Nets likely didn't get out of the Eastern Conference semifinal round against Milwaukee, the eventual champion. They're an inch away, even with the injuries, of getting to the conference final. I think they win that against Atlanta and then maybe win the whole thing. But that didn't happen, and that's sports. But now you you can sort of look at what the Knicks are going to deal with for the next four or five years under Tom Thibodeau. Brooklyn alone in in their backyard is going to be a major problem. So when you look at the Knicks and... Your top two players are obviously guys who, in Randall and Barrett, particularly Randall, he deserves so much credit for what he accomplished last year and how much he improved. And I've talked about this on my Sunday show at length, but for them to get in a position where they can overcome the Brooklyn Nets in their own backyard and compete for a championship in the next four or five years, they have to get better players at the top of the roster. It would be great if Julius Randle can stick around and be a part of that. But so what you're looking for as a Knicks fan are these young guys to develop into real assets 
tradable commodities so that the Knicks can put together packages to get the kind of players that Brooklyn has, that the Lakers have, and you just have a lot of problems around the league that the Knicks are going to have to deal with to get from, hey, it's great that we made the playoffs and we help allow the fans to forget, for the most part, temporarily anyway, about two decades of really lousy basketball. To get from that point to a feel-good story to a real championship contender. So, so that's what I'm looking at. Your thoughts on that and what the Knicks need to do to get there. Because that's, that's actually tougher, that part. And I've always said this when I recall the Bill Parcells Jets of the mid to late 90s. When Parcells first got there, of course, they're coming off the co-tight 1-15. And, and right away, he gets to 9-7 and seven just by running a competent program. That is the easy part. And Tom Thibodeau was the best coach in the NBA last year, but what he did was the actually the easy part. The hard part, and Parcells did it in year two. He got to, what were they that year in 98, 12 and four. They go to the AFC Championship game and they lose to Denver. And they were winning going into the second half. And it was never the same after that. Testaverde blows out his Achilles in week one in 99 when they're supposed to go to the Super Bowl and and the rest is history. Belichick leaves and and the whole thing kind of didn't unravel, but Belichick became arguably the greatest NFL coach of all time, at least when he had Tom Brady on his side. And and then the Jets, they haven't won since, well, you know, since man has stepped on the moon. They haven't won at all. Zach Wilson is supposed to be the guy who maybe leads them back to the Super Bowl for the first time since January of 69. And we'll see if he can do that. But we've got uh, uh, so much to, to get to with the, with the Mets, who need this doubleheader today. The Yankees now in, I think, good position, having won. They were 41-41 and 41 when they lost that first July 4th game as part of a doubleheader to the Mets. And since then, they're 22-10. and 10, And they've won nine series out of ten. And so if they keep winning series, they're going to get the wild card and they probably will host that wild card game. And maybe it's against the Red Sox. And it's just unbelievable to think how things can change in baseball when the Yankees were 10 back not long ago. And it looked like the Red Sox were either going to run away with this thing or fight it out with Tampa Bay and then settle for that first wild card. And now they're in trouble. So things change really quickly. And so we'll see how it plays out. One thing you're concerned about as a Yankees fan, Clay Holmes being added to the COVID-19 list, it just never ends with the COVID situation and the Yankees. And they've had now three outbreaks. This one's really extended. And as I mentioned on the show yesterday, that that could be the one thing going forward. If they can't control these outbreaks, that could really stop them. How many of, of these cases can they withstand and overcome so and Holmes was doing a good job for them for the most part and so just the latest uh, casualty of the pandemic for the Yankees and hopefully he's okay and his family's okay and the same for the other Yankees who have been hit with that but tonight in Iowa in Dyersville Iowa near the original field and set for the movie that was released in 1989 Field of Dreams and I just imagine that anyone under 45 probably doesn't really care much about it. 
for me, it, it does hit home. It was a favorite movie of mine. It's not my favorite all-time sports movie. I would say Hoop Dreams is probably mine. I think that was the best sports movie, even though it was a documentary, not really comparing that to a Hollywood production. You could argue is apples and oranges. But to me, overall, Hoop Dreams is the, the best sports movie I've ever seen. And then you go from there. Field of Dreams, I, I would not put in my top three, maybe in my top five. Some people think it's too hokey. And if you have thoughts on that movie, on your favorite sports movie of all time, give us a call, 1-800-919-3776. We could talk about that over the next couple hours. That's usually a, a good point of, of interesting conversation. Uh, the Giants uh, had a practice last, last night at MetLife Stadium. They had, what, about 29,000, 30,000 fans. Daniel Jones gets cheered, not as loudly as Eli got cheered, which is not really a surprise. Evan Ingram got booed, of course, for dropping a pass in a seven-on-seven drill. <laughs> and one thing I found interesting, it was, and of course, as you know, the Giants are really thin on the offensive line, and that could be a big problem this year for Daniel Jones. If this is a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, and I'm not sure it really is, but man, if, if he doesn't have an offensive line, it's going to be tough to measure him against the standards that people are setting for him. And the offensive line is, is basically everything. I think this was a tweet from Tom Rock of Newsday. He said that the fans were apparently chanting for Joe Looney, who was one of the offensive linemen who suddenly retired in camp, in Giants camp. And so the fans are chanting for him because they know the offensive line is a real problem. And according to uh, Tom Rock of Newsday, Joe Judge grabbed the microphone and said, I would hope you support who we are, not who we are not. This is your team. So Joe Judge is a guy who is not going to let anything slide, even from the fans. And he's talked an awful lot about putting a team on the field that represents the blue collar people of New York and New Jersey, that that is really important to him. I like that. I really haven't heard a football coach or any coach really in this marketplace talk about it as passionately and as often as Joe Judge has and does. So he, is, he thinks the formula is the Coughlin-Parcells formula of physicality, tough Northeastern football. Now, the problem is, that worked to the tune of four Super Bowl championships, two for Parcells, two for Coughlin, and just having a, a real physical team on, on both sides of the ball up front, being able to pound the ball when you have to. Now, the problem is with the offensive line that the Giants have, can you do that? And the answer right now is no. Saquon Barkley has to be healthy. And my ill-informed, semi-educated opinion on what needs to happen here, assuming Barkley plays most of these 17 games coming up in the regular season. He's not going to play in the preseason. That would be crazy to put him out there. In some ways, this extended regular season, guys will need load management to begin with to waste them in the preseason, particularly a guy coming off a significant injury. Doesn't make any sense at all. But get the ball out of Jones's hands and get it to Barkley in the flat and let him get him outside the tackles in space and let him do his thing. He's your best player and try to give him some freedom on the outside to make some moves and, and make some plays. And that takes some pressure off the offensive line when you run a lot of passes like that, short passes, particularly to dynamic playmakers like Saquon Barkley. And Jones 
is going to be on his own a little bit to use his speed and athletic ability to break away and he's going to have to run the ball I think when you have a quarterback like that use his strength it's one of his biggest strengths use it and he has to be smart when to get down of course he has to keep the ball tucked away but that also takes some pressure off the offensive line when they know their quarterback has that kind of ability to make a play with his feet and when you do that when a defense has a good series of downs and suddenly it's third and long on a drive or second and long and a quarterback runs for 15 to 17 yards gets out of bounds for a first down that really breaks a defense's spirit it really does you do everything right and then you have a quarterback who isn't being covered basically by a defender who can make a play like that Daniel Jones can do that and so I think he has to do that Zach Wilson I'm not concerned about the only thing I'm concerned about with him is just size. You look at the quarterback position now in the NFL, it is such a big man's position, big, strong, athletic people playing that position. And Zach doesn't have that. Now, I didn't watch Brigham Young play football this year. I, I watched part of one game. I've seen basically the same highlights you've seen, and he does look like he has it whatever it is, that charisma looks like he's enjoying being in the marketplace and he's not enjoying the slow camp or start that he's had to camp. But I think that doesn't matter. And this is going to be a difficult first year experience for him. The Jets are going to have to weather the storm. But Zach Wilson did talk about the mistakes that he's been making so far during camp. Taking care of the ball is, is 100% a quarterback's job. And one of my goals when I came out here and I got drafted was just like, how can I adapt to this NFL game as quickly as I can? And I, I can't be afraid to make mistakes, especially in practice. You know, this isn't a game. This is where I'm learning what I get away with and what I can't. And so, you know, there's times where, you know, maybe in a real game, I probably wouldn't throw that. But but it's times where I'm like, well, well, let me try right here and see what I can get away with. And it's, you know, as we get closer to game, you have to start teaching yourself. You know, in that situation, you know what, CJ got a, got a hand on it. He made the play. And so it's like, okay, well, next time in that situation, that same look, I'm going to check the ball down. And so that's what we practice for us to, to be able to play situations out like that. You like to hear a quarterback say that. I, I think that's a really good philosophy to, to have in, and to embrace in training camp. And hey, if I'm, not, if I'm afraid to make a mistake now, how am I going to be in a game? So try things in camp and in practice and see how they play out and then, and then either take that into the game or not depending on your experience in practice and in, in preseason. So Zach Wilson, it's going to be, we've seen some of the greatest quarterbacks who've ever played really struggle in year one, whether it's Peyton Manning, Troy Aikman, and many others. So it's going to be tough this year. I, I think the Jets could be and will, will be a last place team in that division, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a disappointment. If you see development with him as your quarterback, then... It's a win. You have a new head coach, Robert Sala, who, who to me looks the part. He acts the part. Seems like a very smart hire. Like the way he carries himself just from the outside looking in. The proof will be in the pudding, of course. But a guy who just, like Brian Flores in Miami, like Joe Judge with the Giants, in my opinion anyway, I think that this Jets coach just looks like he's the guy. We'll see. Rex Ryan got out of the box with two straight AFC championship game appearances, and then 
it went south on him. NFL coaching careers can go a million different ways, and so we'll find out. It's about his quarterback. A successful head coach in this league needs that to to stay in the job long term and to be successful. And so he's tied to Zach Wilson and what Wilson can produce. Your thoughts, 1-800-919-3776. Really, on the Jets, do you think there's any possibility that they're not a last-place team? And if so, why? On the Giants, I think that you could, you could build a case where they could win that division because it's not a good division. You don't know about Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. You don't – well, you know about Ryan Fitzpatrick – in Washington, he's a guy that you would much rather have if you're a head coach or a GM or an owner as your, to me, as your magic man off the bench. As a relief pitcher, then you're a full-fledged starter. He's, he has no history of leading teams to the playoffs. And now they have a really good defense, but that's a beatable quarterback. As, as a full-fledged starter, that is a beatable guy if you're the Giants. And Dallas is the best team, the most talented team, but Dak Prescott... Now, going for another MRI, that shoulder is an issue, and so who knows? But the Giants are improved. They got some weapons for Daniel Jones. The offensive line is a, is a big problem. I think that defense is relatively solid. The secondary is very good. So in that division, do you think the Giants actually have a chance to win it? The Ian O'Connor Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's kind of a dream come true. You know, you never thought as a kid, you know, you see the movie, you never think that you actually get a chance to play at the Field of Dreams. But, you know, getting this opportunity and a chance to walk through the corn, um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a big moment, a special moment. I think it's, uh, you know, good for Major League Baseball um, that we're doing this, like that we have the throwback jerseys for each team. I think that's going to be something special. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I wish we were playing three games there. You know, everyone's putting in all this work, building the stadium and doing what they need to do. And it's all for one game. But, um you know, where I know this, everybody in this clubhouse is excited for it. Ian O'Connor, and that is Aaron Judge. Now, listen, he's half my age, so if he can get excited about this, I think people under 30 can get into this Field of Dreams game tonight. And so that was good stuff, Aaron Judge. And I'm looking forward to watching. I don't know if I watch the whole thing. It depends. If the game's compelling, I'll stick with it. I'll switch back and forth. The good news is the Mets will be over with at that point. We think this doubleheader that they're playing at uh, City Field right now, scoreless in the first game. Adam Schefter, by the way, reporting that Daniel Jones is being held out of the Saturday night game against the Jets. And that makes sense. Again, all you care about is having him healthy for 17, not 16, regular season games. So he will be held out against the Jets. Schefter also reporting that Mac Jones the rookie quarterback for the Patriots, his number, number 50, as you probably know during camp, a typical Belichickian thing to do to give his first-round quarterback a uh, jersey number 50, has been switched to number 10. He will play tonight against Washington. Cam Newton also expected to play. And uh, from Jets camp, looks like Elijah Moore has a quad issue. Uh, Robert Sala not terribly concerned about it, but he's been looking... Good to very good to excellent, so you don't want to see that. So we'll see how that uh, injury plays out. It's Ian O'Connor in for Barton Hahn on 98.7 ESPN. We have a lot to cover. 1-800-919-3776. It's the Giants. Can they win their division? Can the Jets not finish in last place? We're talking also about uh, the Knicks and 
summer league and the development of their young players and what that could mean long-term and what they need to accomplish now that the Nets are going to have the big three for another five years in their backyard. You got Mets needing to win this doubleheader today. You got the Yankees having won 22 of their last 32 games, have the Field of Dreams game tonight, but in good position to now get a wild card. And so it's going to be a very fun and fascinating September for both baseball teams if the Mets can hang in there after these 13 games with the Dodgers and Giants that is going to be a very difficult proposition to manage and first off on the phones let's go to Emmanuel in Flushing Emmanuel you have a thought on the New York Giants go ahead yes uh, I do think the Giants have a chance to win the NFCs because I'm not really sold on uh, all the three the Wesley three teams really we don't know who's going to be their starting quarterback Washington, yeah, they got good defense, but um, uh, 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 Patrick is a little suspect because he's never made the playoffs in his entire career. I know a couple of times he's been over 500, but he never took that team to the playoffs. I mean, um, and in Dallas, we don't know if Dak Prescott will be coming back. I mean, um, and, um, we don't know how good how how good he's going to be back, especially coming back from that major knee, um, that uh, major surgery. So. I think the Giants have a chance that uh, if if Saquon Barkley is back and 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 Daniel Jones can he take to another step like he did in year two because I thought the Giants did um did improve but not improve enough to make the playoffs. It wasn't. I do. I, listen, I, I think in the end of the well, let me, day, let me say right. this, Emmanuel. Let me cut you off there. And thanks for the call. I think that it's going to come down to two things for the Giants: one, the offensive line, and two, their ability to play around that offensive line, if that's possible. Maybe it isn't possible. But again, in a relatively weak division, that if they can play around that line and find ways to offset a weakness and neutralize it to some degree, it's very hard to do. And when the Giants have won and won big and won championships, their offensive line has been very solid. So it would be a new thing for this franchise to figure out. They need some player. Their left tackle, Thomas, he needs to be a star this year. He played better Andrew Thomas toward the end of last year, like most of the team did, but he needs to be a real star and, and going forward. So that's part of it. They're thin. They've had the two retirements in camp and they had a 38 year old assistant offensive line coach yesterday, step in uh, and take a position on the second team because they don't have enough bodies. So it's a problem. And Solder is banged up now. And so we'll see if they can overcome it. By the way, in that division, when you're looking at Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick, here are his career records in order as a starter. 0-3, and 4-7-1, 4-4, 4-9, 6-10, 6-10, 3-6, 6-6, 10-6 with the New York Jets 2015, 3-8. And then you have him in relief here, 2-1, 2-5, 5-8, Four and three. So his career record is 59, 86, and one. He, again, has never led a team to the postseason. He had that opportunity that last game in 2015 at Buffalo and didn't get it done. And so I think that it's going to come down to the two issues I mentioned, or really it's one issue that offensive line with the Giants, and also what happens with Dak Prescott. That will determine the Giants and their chances perhaps of surprising people and winning that division. Let's go to Spike in St. Peter, 
St. Petersburg. Spike, your thoughts on the New York Knicks. Go ahead. Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts. I'm, uh, I'm as nutty as you are. I put it on. I see a Laker Nick game with the uniforms. And I, you know, I just love the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks, Alan Hahn, Larry Hardesty, I've been talking for years. They need shot makers. The backcourt last night was sweet. I mean, um, there's Deuce McBride, Miles McBride. He could stick it. He could make that shot. He may be a little undersized, but he fills the box score up. He, you know, he. Uh, I don't know if he'll make the team or he'll go to Westchester. And they're trying to make well, quickly into a point guard. You know, quickly, the Knicks have quickly signed does him. a lot of good stuff. A lot of good have, stuff. The Knicks have signed him, and plus he's a lockdown defender or something close to that, and he's got the wingspan, and so yep. we'll see how it plays out with him. Yeah, and Grimes looks pretty good, too. You know, and listen, this this upper management team is refreshing. Will they get near the Nets? No. The Nets have the, the three of the top ten players in the league, arguably. But that's okay. Just so good. you got a lot of young kids here. And you play for Tibbs, you get no burn unless you play defense. And, and we'll see if Obi can pick that up. Because he has good footwork and all. And I think they made a good draft. I well, was Spike, let, with let me stop you there. And, and thanks for the phone call. You said it was okay that they're not going to be the Brooklyn Nets or beat them well it's okay for now but it's not going to be okay in two or three years and and that that's what I'm talking about why the roster where it is right now is is a playoff roster I think maybe can win a playoff series now that you've added Kemba Walker Fournier is a slight upgrade maybe better than a slight upgrade but I don't think he's a great player I think he gives the Knicks something they needed and so they can perhaps win a playoff series, but the East has improved. Other teams got better. And it's not okay to be not as good as the Nets for the next five years. Now, they may have injuries. Guys could Harden and Irving are going to get older. They're not getting younger. Same with Durant. But Durant right now is the best player on the planet. And so they, they, the Knicks need to get better players at some point in the next two, three years for this to work out the way you want it to work out. Let's go to Gordon in Newark. Gordon, you have a thought on your favorite all-time sports movie. Go ahead, Gordon. Yes, yes. I want to talk about Brian's song. Yeah, that's in my top five. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. What what did you love about it? Oh, man. Gail Sarris and Brian Piccolo, uh, Billy D. Wins, James Conn. That's a tearjerker, and what I have to say about that at a time in this country where, you know, we have our civil uh, racial disparities, to see Billy D. Williams on the big screen say, I love Brian Piccolo, went right through me, right? You know, so that, for me, that's my all-time um, sports sports movie, Brian's song. Yeah, and I, uh, thanks, I thanks for bringing that up, Gordon. I appreciate the call, and I love Brian's song, too, and for those of you who are not my age, I don't know how Gordon, how old he is, but uh, if, if you're young and you've never heard of it, you've never seen it, go find a way to watch Brian's song. And yeah, and it's a, it's a story about unity and, and, and players and teammates and, and black and white coming together in this country, which of course we need now more than ever. And so the one thing about sport is you see in and sports has more than its share of racial problems and opportunities not afforded African-American coaches and executives. It used to be quarterbacks. I think we've more or less gotten past that. But I think what uh, a lot of America sees in sport is 
black and white working together for a common goal. And that's actually a really good example for the rest of American society. So, but Brian's song that, that comes to the fore and it's a very emotional movie. Buck Showalter told me when he lost that epic Yankee series with Seattle in 95, trying to watch a tape of that classic game five that Seattle won in the 11th in the kingdom and a series that a lot of people think kind of saved baseball after the 94 labor stoppage and the cancellation of the world series. And that year, by the way, the Yankees might've been in position to, to make the world series to reach the world series under Showalter. But when he watches or has tried to watch a tape of that, it's like watching Brian's song in the dark. So that gives you an idea of how emotional or the kind of emotions that movie can stir inside of you. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Rich in Brooklyn. Rich, you also have a thought on your favorite all-time sports movie. Go ahead, Rich. Yeah, I mean, uh, enjoy listening to you today. And Thank I you. And I love your columns all the time. But uh, my top five as far as movies is, number one is Field of Dreams. Number two is Hoosiers. Number three, Friday the Yankees. Uh, number four, Bang the Drunk Slowly. And uh, Chariots of Fire, the movie about track back there in the Olympics. But I wanted to tie in uh, Hoosiers with what uh, Coach Judge did Saturday night. He stole that uh, uh, thing from uh, uh, Gene Hackman and Hoosiers. You can remember when Gene Hackman spoke to the crowd about not having their uh, favorite player, at least for the guys that we have. That's what Judge did Saturday night. He got that from Hoosiers. <laughs> I missed that one, but thanks for the call and for that little trip down memory lane. Bang the drum slowly. Robert De Niro. That is a, uh, an old baseball classic, so that's worth trying to go back and find if you can. And so Hoop Dreams, though, and I haven't heard anyone bring that up yet, and maybe because it's not really a Hollywood production, it was a different kind of movie. But that was an incredible piece of film work in the story of Arthur Agee and William Gates two Chicago high school basketball players with big dreams playing major college basketball and the paths that their lives took in challenging situations. So uh, your thoughts on, on Field of Dreams and the Yankee game tonight in the Iowa cornfield right near the site of where that movie was filmed. It seems like the players are into it. And they're going to wear those throwback uniforms. And I believe 8,000 fans will be there. And the outfield will just be beyond the, the fence, will just be a cornfield. So that's pretty cool. Looking forward to seeing that. It's kind of funny that the Yankees are playing a really every game matters so much to them right now in trying to at least, it looks like they're not going to win the division, still have an outside shot at it. But more likely, the idea now is to try to host that wild card game. And if you could set it up where Garrett Cole is on the mound at Yankee Stadium, you're not sure you're going to be able to do that. You may need him just to clinch a wild card. But if that happens, that's a pretty good place to be in a one-game sudden-death shootout. The Ian O'Connor Show on 98.7 ESPN. We're talking about your favorite all-time sports movies with the Yankees-White Sox Field of Dreams game tonight. Field of Dreams, it's just, uh, it creates a lot of debate over the merits of that film and whether or not it was too hokey and cheesy and all of those things, geeky. And some people of my generation really seem to embrace it and love it. And it's, I think if you also had a, either a really good relationship with your father 
and it revolved around baseball and maybe not a good relationship with your father. Like that movie really on both ends of the spectrum really gets you at the end because it's about lost opportunity with your dad and then a chance maybe to to redeem that that you either did or didn't get in life. And then with baseball, if you grew up with baseball as a big part of your life, combined with the whole father-son thing, it can tug on the heartstrings pretty strongly. And, and so it did with me, and I think it did with a lot of people who had those feelings. Now, if you're younger, you didn't feel that, and baseball isn't what it used to be in this country. There's no doubt about that. It's interesting. Baseball is a sport that thrives locally and regionally, but not nationally. The NFL is just such a national juggernaut. And part of it, even though the world is smaller and because of things that you didn't have 25 years ago, like the internet, it's just so much easier now to follow teams in other markets than it used to be. When I was growing up, there was just no way to follow a baseball team. Like, for instance, I grew up in, I was born in the Bronx, grew up in northern New Jersey, and I had no problem being a Dallas Cowboy fan because they were on national TV a lot. They were always that. There was one national game a week, sometimes two, and they were off in that game. And the Giants and Jets were terrible at the time when I, I was growing up. But I could never be a fan on a daily basis of a team in, let's say, the Kansas City Royals. I could be a Chiefs fan because they play once a week. It was easy to follow, but to follow a team – Far, far away in my mind growing up, again, in a world without the internet, without cell phones, without anything uh, technologically advanced, to follow a baseball team over 162 games, yeah, that's tough. Now, now, now it isn't. But still, the NFL is, is just such a powerhouse. It's a monster nationally. But I'll be interested to see what the ratings are tonight for that Yankee White Sox game. Of course, the bigger picture, the more important thing for Yankee fans is just winning the game. The Yankees have done a fair amount of winning lately, and it looked like they were dead in the water a month ago, and they have a lot of life now. They are two games back in the wild card. They've won nine of 10 series. They've won 22 of 32 games, and when they lost that first game that Sunday, July 4th, to the Mets... And it just felt like, wow, they did come back at night and win that game. And since then, they've just been a much better baseball team. But it looked bleak. They were 41-41. and And when the Yankees are 500 or a little less than or a little south of 500, it's treated like they're 15 games under. Why? Because they're the New York Yankees. And because their general manager, Brian Cashman, many years ago stated that the annual mission statement of this franchise is to win the World Series. And Derek Jeter and others embraced that. And Jeter would say, if we don't win the World Series, I feel like the season is a failure. That's a harsh way of putting it, but that's the way he looked at it. And with the Mets, it's like... Let's play meaningful games in September. You know that from Fred Wilpon. I don't mean to constantly bring up the Wilpons, but because of what's gone on with the Mets recently, it's hard not to. But their objective was, it seemed, let's get in the playoffs. Let, let's, let's make a run in September. Where with the Yankees, it's win the World Series or we've got problems. And so when the Yankees were a couple games over 500, they were treated like garbage by the fans, by the media, and Brian Cashman himself said it. We stink. We suck. We stink to high heavens. It's as bad as it can get. They were over 500 when he was saying those things. 
<laughs> yeah, so you would never. Uh, how many how many sports franchises would have an executive say those things on the record on camera? When you're over 500, you have a winning record. But that's the New York Yankees, and that's why they're treated that way is because Brian Cashman and others, obviously it comes from the Steinbrenner philosophy or ethos of we, we, when George Steinbrenner was told once by one of his front office people after a playoff defeat, and they were all crushing the George, was, hey, boss, you know, we can't win it every year. And Steinbrenner said, why the hell not? And actually, he didn't say hell. He said another word, but I'm not going to say that word and get fired here on the air. But the, uh, the point is that the Yankees have always established their own standard of winning it all, and they haven't done it since 2009. And so they're going to hear about it. And they're a victim of their own standards, and it's a compliment. The way they're covered and the way they're treated by their fans is actually a compliment. Mets, on the other hand, when things are going pretty good and they're in the mix and people are happy, it's not really always about winning the World Series, which, of course, they haven't done in 35 years. But that's why I think they were, uh, they have been, or they were treated differently when they were a little above 500. And, of course, they were in a, in a much more forgiving division, the NL East versus the AL East, no comparison. So, so that played into it as well. But Zach Scott said what he said the other day about players putting it on the players for not following instruction in terms of preventing injuries, treating injuries. And I pointed out in a column today in the New York Post that, okay, that's fine. And, and I'm not telling Zach Scott he's wrong. I've never heard a general manager of a New York team. I, I may have forgotten it, but in 35, 36 years of being a writer in New York, I can't ever remember a GM blaming players for injuries publicly like that. And again, I'm not saying Zach Scott was wrong or he shouldn't have done it. I think a lot of fans are glad he did do it. But what I am saying is when you make that declaration public and you blame the players for not listening to coaches and staff and the plan laid out basically from above, you're also calling into question the very leadership of the franchise. Yourself as GM, acting GM, Sandy Alderson, Louis Rojas, and Steve Cohen, the owner. This was this... This thing, uh, that, that this drama that came out of the other day and Zach Scott saying what he said, of course, inspired by all the losing of late, was very Will Pond-esque. And I think Mets fans thought they were beyond that when Steve Cohen purchased the team and then said he expected to win the World Series within three to five years. Things are going to be different around here. He's going to spend money. He's not going to be a drunken sailor and in terms of spending and well why not i think he will be if he has to be he's the richest owner in baseball which should lead to ultimately the number one payroll in baseball if he's got the most money use it he's worth 14 to 16 billion dollars give or take a billion and the mets should have the highest payroll in baseball or be right there with the dodgers and the yankees and and the other heavyweights and use that advantage He's already made his money. This is not about money to him. It shouldn't be. He's made his money in, in his other business. This is about winning and winning a championship for the Met fan base. And I believe he feels that way. And I do think he'll spend like a drunken sailor if he has to. You could argue he already did that with Lindor. But the Mets now leading, by the way, 3 nothing in the bottom of the third with men on first and third. So in really good shape in the first of these two seven-inning games today, which they need to win and to change the conversation about them away from the losing of late, 
away from the unraveling and what appeared to be a collapse, being in first place for 90 days and then sitting in third place with a chance now to move up and the Phillies are going to get cold again. You think it's not a good division. So this is, and the point is, this was a great year for the Mets to make the playoffs. Why? Because if they win the division, they're going to skip that wild card game. And that puts you closer to the World Series just by skipping that sudden death game. So if DeGrom comes back, and I think he will, God, I hope he does. You have the best pitcher on the planet trying to keep him healthy through September into October. But if you could just get in, winning a relatively easy division to win, the Mets have an opportunity. They just... Teams get hot sometimes in October and they just take off and you've got the best pitcher and all of a sudden Baez is doing his thing. He was, he was the MVP of the NLCS not very long ago in, in an historic Chicago Cubs postseason. So he could get going and then Lindor might get going and Alonzo can do his thing and all of a sudden you've got a chance. That's what it's all about. The Mets haven't done it in 35 years. So I think that one thing that I was encouraged, and I'll get to your phone calls in one second, 1-800-919-3776. We've got a lot of calls. Uh, I just want to make a point about Pete Alonzo. Since he was the guy who was whistling past the graveyard constantly and maybe even inspired what Zach Scott said because he got tired of it. I'm not saying that happened, but it could be one of the reasons he said what he said publicly, the GM. But Alonzo was singing an entirely different tune from what management was thinking. So, so clearly the players and management inside the organization not on the same page. You got to believe. He comes, he comes out and, and, and absolutely just rips the cover off the baseball yesterday. His exit velocity on, on three hits were something like 107, 108, 110 miles per hour. He just tore the cover off the ball. And I thought that was actually a good sign. Maybe Zach Scott said, well, I pressed the button here. And Alonzo, who was... Kind of, he wasn't one of the injured players, but in the line of fire because he was he was saying things publicly. His messaging was entirely different from what Zach Scott came out with, and he went out and just killed it. So maybe this works, maybe this helps. We'll find out. But I thought it was a good sign that Alonzo responded, in a sense, to to what was said by his boss, Ian O'Connor, ninety eight seven ESPN one eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six is the phone line. Let's go to Dennis in Old Japan. He has a thought on his, well, on the Nets and also his favorite movie. Go ahead, Dennis. Hi, how are you today? Thanks for calling. Go ahead, Dennis. What's on your mind? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I remember you back when you were uh, writing for the Bergen Records, so I go back for you a long time. Uh, Thank you. As far as my, yeah, as far as my movies, I would go with Raging Bull. I like tracks of Chariots of Fire, and I like the Spike Lee movie, uh, He Got Game. He Got Game, very good. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, okay. Now, I just want to add one thing about the Nets. I mean, they got a formidable uh, threesome, but Kyrie can never stay healthy. So I don't think you have to worry that he cannot stay healthy. And then he's going to take time off for personal reasons. I don't want to see him get hurt, but look at the track record. So... Uh, I just think that, you know, they have to pay him. I understand that, but uh, I don't know if it's going to end good for them, the three of them together. Well, th- uh, thanks, thanks, for the, for, uh, thanks for the call, Dennis. And I think Kyrie Irving, that's a legitimate point. And so, listen, they were an inch away from being in the conference final. Again, the conference final, I think, against Atlanta, they would have won. So 
they're basically going to have about five opportunities in the postseason to try to stay healthy. And and one reason I was not a big fan of James Harden's game in Houston, just watching him, I, I could appreciate how great he was as an offensive force, but I just didn't like watching him play basketball, iso ball, even though his assist numbers were pretty good. So he comes to the Nets, and I appreciated it a lot more. saw that he was a willing passer. He certainly was when healthy playing for Brooklyn. But in acquiring him, I, I said to myself, chances are, given the serious, given Kyrie's history, given the serious nature of Durant's injury that he was overcoming, that one of these guys is always going to be hurt. So a big three would really be a big two. So I was for it for that reason. And it played out that way. In fact, at the end, it was a big one, a big one and a half as they were trying to get through that Milwaukee series that the Nets could not get through. Let's go to Eddie in New Hyde Park. Your favorite all-time sports movie. Go ahead, Eddie. Hey, what's up, guys? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hey, um, I'm a Rudy and Hoosiers fan. About 54 years old. Field of Dreams was great, but they need to, they can make like some kind of documentary or movie about the 2000 World Series. Mets Yankees. I'm a New York City high school teacher. The city was just happening. Everybody was a fan. It was like a great time in New York. And go Martin Ram. You're in baseball. Well, that, thanks for the call, Eddie. That's an interesting thought. And because it only went five games, and really I think when people talk about epic New York World Series confrontations or, or you look at the 2001 World Series after 9-11 and the Yankees don't win and they lose in just a heartbreaking way, of course, with Mariano on the mound is, is perhaps a more compelling story, certainly nationally, to see the Yankees dynasty effectively end in that game and all the emotion in New York given what the city had just endured but the 2000 World Series it's that was Derek Jeter it was all about one team had Derek Jeter and the other team didn't and in the offseason the Mets had a chance to go after a shortstop who was better than Derek Jeter and who wanted to play for the New York Mets and they did not bid on him and I wonder if Steve Cohen it's interesting because Cohen and A-Rod were head-to-head trying to buy the the Mets, A-Rod and J-Lo, who's no longer with A-Rod, as we all know. But I think that if Steve Cohen, at the time, were the owner of the New York Mets, they would have made a very competitive bid to try to sign him and keep him away from the Texas Rangers. Of course, Rodriguez signed $252 million record deal with the Texas Rangers and didn't end up with the Mets. And you know how his career to some degree unraveled because of the steroid use and admissions going forward. But still, that would have been something else if you had an owner in New York with the Mets who, after that World Series, said, you know what? The reason we lost was pretty obvious. They had Derek Jeter. We didn't. I can now sign somebody who's better than Derek Jeter. And the Mets, of course, did not do that. Let's go to Todd in California, who has a thought on Field of Dreams. Go ahead, Todd. Hey, bud. Thanks for uh, letting me get on. I'll Absolutely. make uh, two quick uh, nuanced points, and uh, it's all just about the movies. One is on uh, Field of Dreams. I think what people are really missing is the nuanced portion of the film. It's ageless and timeless and so great because everybody in your audience and on this planet has a father. And in the end, it took baseball and all these other variables uh, throughout this, you know, basically an odyssey 
for them to land at it's all about the relationship, good or bad, female or male, with their respective fathers. And that's why it's ageless and timeless and everybody can relate to it. There's really not, you know, any portion of the movie that's deficient in any way. The baseball is almost secondary. And, and you know, for people that have seen it, when the doctor, you know, walks across the line and changes back into Burt Lancaster, it, it's just an unforgettable moment. And then secondly, um, I can't believe nobody has mentioned the movie Rocky. Uh, I I believe I did. If I didn't, I I meant to. But go ahead. Well, okay. I'm sorry. Well, it's the ultimate uh, American dream movie that, again, everybody in the audience, regardless of status, race, ethnicity, uh, class, it's it's the American dream, especially in a time like this. That movie is ageless and timeless. You could put it on today and look at, you know, what's happening right now on, on an ancillary note with Manny Pacquiao and a late replacement for his fight. Rocky epitomizes the American dream in a nutshell that anybody in America can do anything if they really put their mind to it and overcome any obstacle or hurdle, it transcends everything that I mentioned and it should be inserted at least into a top three or a top five of best sport movies ever made. Thanks for letting me on. Well, thanks for the call, Todd. I think Rocky certainly is up there. I don't know about the sequels. And uh, I remember seeing Rocky and I went with my next door neighbor Hilton Jones and I sat with him and we watched and at the end of the movie because I, I think that you're right in, in that theme appealed to everyone and Hilton was African-American I'm white we're watching the movie and he's rooting for Rocky at the end of beat Apollo Creed because uh, it, he represented not a a white underdog but an underdog period and so I think there's been some discussion along racial lines about that movie going forward over the years but I, I do think that 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 film did touch a uh, did pull on the heartstrings of a lot of people at that time and Brian's song did the same thing on, on a different level Field of Dreams as well so it's those emotional movies that as one caller said earlier maybe leaves you in, in tears at the end and uh, listen it doesn't have to be that way with a great sports movie because certainly Moneyball did not leave me in tears and certain others that would be on that list but i think that it is very difficult to make a a great sports film and field of dreams i think qualifies and i'm not saying it was uh the acting or the the filmmaking was was the greatest but it was about that story and what todd just said is everyone has a a father and the ending to that movie touches you if you had a great relationship with your dad or if you had a not so great relationship with your dad because it is about that lost opportunity and now all of a sudden the main character played by Kevin Costner has a chance to redeem that and reconnect with his old man and and do it through baseball you could argue about a lot of things being hokey in that movie and and they were but it comes down to that that basic element and the core of the of the story of the narrative and so many people could relate to that 
on both sides of the spectrum. Ian O'Connor, 98.7 ESPN. In for Barton Hahn, you've got DCR coming up at two. In for Michael Kay and Don LaGreca and Peter Rosenberg. And listen, we have uh, so much still to talk about, to get to. We've got the NFL preseason games tonight, which you really haven't touched on much, but Washington at New England. And yesterday we mentioned, it's funny that we got so many calls on Belichick, which I didn't really expect, but what a big year it is for Bill Belichick after Tom Brady won the Super Bowl without him last year. Brady's at, he got ring number seven and Belichick went, seven and nine and it just reignited that conversation about Belichick's career without Brady of course the four losing seasons out of five in Cleveland though the one winning season he had he beat Parcells and the Patriots in the playoffs then lost to the Steelers I believe they lost to the Steelers three times that year so that was not the 94 season so Belichick's program in in Cleveland was actually on the way and then of course Art Modell announces the franchise is moving to Baltimore and the thing just completely unraveled and the fans rebelled and the season and Belichick and everything else just fell apart. But he was five and 13, his first uh, year and change in new England before drew Bledsoe got hurt. And before Tom Brady stepped in there and all of a sudden they win the super bowl that year, which was amazing. When Brady walked in at the end of that game, as I mentioned yesterday, I was standing on the field next to Adrian Wojnarowski and and Gary Myers when Mo Lewis put that unbelievable hit on Drew Bledsoe. Brady comes in at the end of that game. The Jets win it. It's the first Sunday they played football after 9-11. And right at that moment, you're thinking, well, the Patriots are 0-2. Belichick went 5-11 in year year one in New England. So now he's 5-13 overall. And now the 199th pick in the draft from the previous year is coming into the game and Bledsoe's going to be out for a while. Robert Kraft had just signed him to a $100 million deal. You're thinking the Patriots could go 4-12. and 12. They win the Super Bowl. And when, and when Bledsoe got healthy, there were people in that locker room because Brady really was sort of being, he had some moments, but he was being more of a game manager, certainly than he is now. And when Bledsoe came back, there were veterans in that Patriot locker room who wanted Belichick to go back to Bledsoe. This is in November. And he did not do that. He stayed with Brady. He saw something special. And Bledsoe, I don't think, ever really fully forgave Belichick for that because he said Bill had promised him a full shot to win back his job and that players don't lose their jobs over injuries and that he felt he was lied to and and maybe he was but at the end of the day Belichick made the right call and he picked Brady and Brady became the greatest quarterback of all time so tonight just preseason but he has a chance now to take a a first look live of Mac Jones against a really good Washington defense Cam Newton Cam Newton was playing really well early last year then he got COVID and the Patriots had some COVID interruptions and their season went sideways. But if you recall the first two, three weeks of the season, the Patriots were looking pretty good. So this is a fascinating year for the Patriots, for Belichick to come back from that seven, nine, get back into the postseason. So this disparity now after their breakup between Belichick and Brady gets minimized a bit. The Ian O'Connor show on 98.7 ESPN.